Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world. Today's guest is Caroline Medina, policy analyst for the LGBTQ Research and Communications Project at American Progress. We'll talk about the history-making report from the U.S. Census Bureau that specifically looks into the LGBTQ community gauging its disparities since the pandemic. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. So, for the first time in U.S. history, the Census Bureau asked about sexual orientation and gender identity in one of its surveys. This is big. The latest version of the Household Pulse Survey provides insight into the experiences of American households during the coronavirus pandemic. Helping us learn more about the key takeaways from the Household Pulse Survey is Caroline Medina, a policy analyst for the LGBTQ Research and Communications Project at American Progress. Medina specializes in qualitative and quantitative analysis of LGBTQ policies with an intersectional approach. We'll talk about this report and other economic factors that affect LGBTQ citizens. And she has a lot to report. Good news, our community is finally being centered in studies. Bad news, the census findings show that the pandemic has made our bad situation worse. I want to welcome to the podcast Caroline Medina, policy analyst for the Center for American Progress's LGBTQ Research and Communications Project, which has written extensively on the need for more federal data on the LGBTQ community and has made many recommendations on how to address disparities. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So before we start with all the the analysis that you're going to share today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Uh, I, I'm originally from, from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm here now in D.C. Um, as a policy analyst for uh, the Center for American Progress's LGBTQ team. Um, I, In terms of background, I went to Amherst College for my undergraduate degree, um, and I went to the London School of Economics for my master's in public administration. Um, and I worked for about five years in the Massachusetts State House um, as a legislative aide, legislative director, and chief of staff. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of the career <laughs> snapshot as well, that's I an guess. Impressive background. Thank you so much. And now you ended up at Center for American Progress. How long have you been there? Um, I've actually been there almost exactly a year, I think. I was thinking exactly. about it today, and I think it's like a year this week. Um, but yeah, I, I worked in the state house for a while, um, and then while I was in grad school uh, in London, I had the opportunity to work um, for the OECD, doing some um, research on LGBTI inclusion there, um, and yeah, a number of other great opportunities. But um, yeah, have have had the opportunity to work on LGBTQ policy for for a number of years now. So you've issued great work regarding LGBTQ advances in healthcare, economics, and civil rights. Now, well, we're going to be talking today about the, the latest Census Bureau information on LGBTQ households. What are some of the key takeaways from the report? 
Sure. Um, I think the main takeaway is just that LGBT communities have been hit harder by the economic impacts of the pandemic. Um, so I have a few top lines, like take uh, food insecurity and economic insecurity for for example, um, so the data, which is from the Household Pulse Survey, um, which I'm happy to also talk more about, uh, found that LGBT people were nearly twice as likely to report that they sometimes or often did not have enough to eat in the past seven days uh, compared to non-LGBT people. Um, over 36% of LGBT adults reported living in a household that had difficulty paying for usual household expenses in the previous seven days, um, which is about 10 percentage points higher than non-LGBT adults. Um, and research also that just came out from um, one of uh, the Williams Institute, which um, we partner with on, on a variety of uh, coalitions, uh, found that over 30% of LGBT people of color uh, reported not being caught up on rent. Um, and that's compared to 10% of white LGBT people, 19% of non-LGBT people of color, and 10% of white non-LGBT people. Um, so those give you a little bit of a taste, I guess, of, of the data. Um, I would say that unfortunately, those sort of disparities are not particularly surprising given that we, what we do know um, from other data, um, but this is the first time that the Census Bureau uh, has had a sponsored survey that includes questions about sexual orientation and gender identity, which is hugely important. Um, History making, correct? Yeah, it's, it's the first time um, that they've included um, sexual orientation and gender identity, which we colloquially call SOGI uh, questions. Um, and that's a, that's a really big deal um, for advocates and researchers that have been pushing for this for a long time, but also you know, for our communities. Um, that data really helps to shed light on our experiences and needs um, and is very influential in terms of allocating funds and targeting resources to communities that, that really need them. Um, so it's super exciting. So there's two things that I wanna bring up. One, that this report was not part of the 2020 census. This was something separate, correct? Okay. Yes, that, that is correct. Um, so this is the Household Pulse Survey, um, which is a newer initiative that really uh, came out as a response to the pandemic. And it's designed differently than some other surveys. It's supposed to be sort of like rapidly deployed and reported out um, and they do it in various phases. So this was actually phase 3.2 that included these questions and that started um, at the end of July and will run through um, around the middle of October. Um, so this is a very specific kind of survey but it's very encouraging that they were willing to put these questions on. Um, and you know, our team and, and many other LGBT uh, you advocates uh, will just continue pushing uh, for more data collection um, yes. through the Pulse Survey and through other uh, Census Bureau surveys. Because a lot of us think, okay, the census comes out every 10 years. In between those 10 years, they do other surveys. They're always working. It's just not them waiting every 10 years to issue out the big uh, census, uh, call, the call for the census. So they work on these special reports and like you said, for the first time, they're including LGBT specific questions or targeting those individuals. I remember back in 2020, uh, 2010, when they tried to do the census, we were lobbying hard for them to include um, answers about same-sex households back then. Uh, I remember the census spent money on trying to recruit um, members of the LGBTQ community to help promote the census. I was one of them. Uh, they put a whole pound of makeup on me and put me on a YouTube 
commercial for the senses. And I thought that was pretty forward thinking of, of them back then, 2010, to do this. Um, but now I'm happy that they finally got a survey out there that's, you know, asking the questions directly to the community. Uh, in the past, marginalized communities have feared discrimination. They never want to self-identify out themselves in public. Do you think our organizations are doing a good job trying to convince the LGBT community to finally say, start identifying yourselves because we have reports coming out that need to know more about our community? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, and you know, there, you're right, obviously there is a history of folks concealing sexual orientation and gender identity you know, due to reasonable fears about discrimination or denial of services um, as a result of providing that information. So I think it's, it's really important that organizations that are pushing for expanding data collection to better capture um, sexual orientation and gender identity are also raising awareness right, about the importance of that data, but also awareness about confidentiality um, and privacy um, policies that these entities have in place so that people feel comfortable um, disclosing that about themselves. Um, and to, to your point, I think a good example of that is the Queer the Census campaign, which was sort of spearheaded by the National LGBTQ Task Force, um, and, and CAP has partnered with them on, on parts of that initiative. Um, and that was really about connecting the dots about how the data are used to allocate funds that will support our communities and enforce civil rights. But it was also about providing sort of FAQs about confidentiality and privacy, um, because I think building out that trust is, is super important. I, I, I want to appreciate the fact that they're going after engaging uh, issues outside of uh, not just the workplace and discrimination, but stuff like access to healthcare, paying the rent, eat, um, having enough to eat. Those are very important, crucial topics that they don't necessarily associate with the gay rights movement. They just think it's all civil rights, civil rights, but you know, we're human, we have to eat, we have to sleep under a roof. Um, growing up in the eighties and nineties, we did have food pantries, but they were mainly for HIV AIDS people that were suffering from the disease and had, didn't have enough because they were so busy paying for their meds that they didn't have enough to eat. So we would raise um, funds and donate food in our communities to help fund these uh, food pantries. But now we're seeing that we got a whole sector of, you know, different sectors of the gay community, LGBTQ community that are going hungry. And I'm glad that there's a report that puts this out there, that poverty is really taking um, a serious hold and um, that it needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's easy for, you know, some to sort of like pigeonhole LGBTQ issues into very specific uh, sort of sort of buckets. Um, but actually it's a really intersectional like field of policy and analysis because like, as, as you said, you know, if you're experiencing disproportionate rates of poverty, which our communities are, um, specific sort of sub-communities within that as well, for, exa for example, transgender communities are experiencing even higher rates than the rest of the LGBTQ community. Um, but it is really an intersectional field of policy because you have to think about, you know, how do we increase access to economic opportunities, to food security, to housing stability, um, to healthcare that is, you know, provided 
in a culturally competent way um, to making sure that insurance is covering general care that is of quality in addition to gender affirming care. Um, so yeah, there's there's many there's a lot of work happening um, and, and many fights that are that are continuing to be fought. Hopefully, this report will make its way to the food banks of the United States, where they're going to see oh, this is a whole new population that we need to go after and target to make sure that they have enough food on their table. So this is just only gonna help the community by you know, underlining that this is a problem, putting the spotlight on this problem and hopefully get the people that are in power to move stuff around so they could start providing resources to the community. So I'm very happy that this report is out, sad that the numbers are up, but sometimes I think, well, maybe because we haven't been self-reporting in the past, these numbers have always been there. We're just learning about them now. Do you think after last summer's Supreme Court victory on LGBTQ worker protections, do you believe that we're gonna see an upturn soon? Sure, I mean, I think the the Bostock ruling um, that, that you're referring to was, you know, a really monumental ruling, um, finding that, you know, uh, under Title VII and Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity uh, is prohibited. Um, and, you know, discrimination in the workplace is a widespread problem uh, for our community. Um, workplace discrimination and harassment, as well as sort of labor market exclusion more broadly, really poses significant barriers to achieving economic security. Um, so for example, our, our team put out a survey um, that was conducted in June, 2020. It's a nationally representative survey of LGBTQI Americans, uh, specifically adults. Um, and that survey found that more than a third of our adult respondents said that their ability to be hired had been negatively affected to a moderate or significant degree in the past year due to discrimination. Um, and then more recently, the Williams Institute also put out data just from May of this year, finding that over 40% of LGBT workers reported experiencing unfair treatment at work. Of course, that can take a, a variety of, of different forms. Um, so it's a really prevalent issue. Um, and I think to address the point of discrimination and forcing Bostock is super important. Um, actually on day one of his presidency, uh, President Biden signed an executive order that was in light of the Bostock ruling directing all federal agencies to enforce, that enforce federal laws prohibiting sex discrimination to also prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and in response to that, we've seen a variety of agencies take action um, to, enforce, uh, to enforce that executive order. Um, I guess to the question of how, how quickly things will change, um, I would like to say that like the morning after we all woke up and our like the labor force and workplace conditions were better, but that's unfortunately just not how things work. Um, it's so be it'll take process probably, right? Um, yeah, and it, you know, it's a process of, you know, making sure that the enforcement mechanisms are in place um, of, raising awareness uh, among our communities that um, that sort of discrimination is prohibited. Um, but I will also say that, you know, improving workplace conditions for our communities is not exclusively about non-discrimination protections. Um, it's also about employers fostering more inclusive workplace cultures um, and adopting more inclusive policies, providing adequate healthcare, um, having inclusive paid leave, um, and then, you know, even more broadly, it's about 
increasing the minimum wage um, and, yeah. and things like that. So there's, there's plenty to do. Um, and, you know, the Bostock ruling really was monumental, but um, um, it will take more than just uh, enforcement of non-discrimination protections. There's a lot of policies that we can work to advance that would really improve those conditions. We have an affordable housing shortage and problem and the pandemic just made this problem worse. How is this ongoing problem negatively affecting our LGBT, LGBTQ community? What have you seen? Um, so data is really clear. Um, affordable housing is a huge issue um, for our communities, specifically for LGBTQ people of color, specifically for transgender communities and LGBTQ youth. Um, and for, you know, this stems from a lot of the things that we've already discussed, right? It's housing discrimination, but it's discrimination in the workplace that, you know, makes you unable to maintain a job or not even to like attain the job in the first place. Um, so all of these things really undermine um, your ability to afford housing. Um, and then we have to remember it, that when people come out of the closet very young, where do they head to? The big cities where rent is sky high. So you could just imagine all the problems that multiply when you're a young teen running away to the big city and trying to make ends meet. You probably have to live in a group setting because you just can't afford something on your own. So affordable housing is something that's definitely an issue in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and our inability to access affordable housing creates economic insecurity. It adversely impacts, you know, your experiences at school and your work life and your physical and mental health. So it's really hard to overstate sort of the importance of increasing access to affordable, safe and secure uh, housing for, for our communities. Um, obviously with the recent um, invalidation, I guess, of the federal eviction moratorium uh, by the Supreme Court that happened at the end of August, you know, that is a real crisis for our communities and for, I think, beyond our communities, um, for, for folks that have been experiencing a lot of economic and housing instability due to the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I, I think that our communities are, are being hit very hard. One big question, uh, in the absence of federal non-discrimination law across the land and half of the states that lack laws that prohibit discrimination against LGBTQ individuals and family. Uh, do you believe this Equality Act that been, we've been waiting on will get passed? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely hope for it passing. You know, for, for decades, LGBTQ advocates have been really steadfast in the need to pass uh, non-discrimination protections. Um, I will also say that and a supermajority of Americans are supportive of federal legislation that includes non-discrimination protections that are in the Equality Act. Um, and, you know, there's clearly a need for these protections, right? Um, this, our survey that I mentioned earlier found that one in three LGBTQI adults, uh, including three in five transgender adults, experienced some kind of discrimination in just the past year. Um, and these experiences impact where you work and live and whether you seek healthcare um, and have really dire consequences. So there's certainly a need. They're also quite popular, <laughs> really popular. Um, according to the Public Religion Research Institute, 76% of Americans support non-discrimination protections for LGBT Americans 
in the areas that are covered by the Equality Act, and that includes 62% of Republicans, 78% of independents, and 85% of Democrats. Um, so in addition to being needed uh, and, and very popular, you know, I think that we really have an opportunity here um, with the current composition of, of Congress and you know, the current administration being very supportive um, to, to act. And I think that it's really imperative that um, our community, but also just more broadly, because the Equality Act does things for other communities as well. It's not exclusively about LGBTQ um, issues. There are other important protections that are expanded um, that we really continue to push um, our, our senators in particular uh, to, to take action. And get rid of this patchwork of laws that were you're equal in one state, but then you cross the state line and you're not equal. We need to yeah, make it and uniform throughout the land. Uh, speaking about the Biden administration, do you believe it's pandemic aid is reaching enough LGBTQ communities? Um, I think that the current administration has taken a lot of really important actions, um, specifically through these pandemic relief efforts to alleviate poverty. Um, and I think that those actions will, and we're already starting to see um, poverty reduction as a result of them. So I think that yes, um, it is positively impacting many LGBTQ communities. Um, I will also say that a lot is currently hanging in the balance um, in terms of what is currently before Congress. Um, and there are really crucial policies that will do much for our communities that um, you know we hope to see advance, um, whether that's related to uh, sort of streamlining access to benefits, um, adopting a paid family medical leave program that is inclusive of chosen family, um, which would also be huge. So yes, I think that the administration is doing a lot to try to reduce poverty and that is having a positive impact on our communities who are unfortunately disproportionately represented um, in that population. Well, I want to thank you, Caroline, for coming on the podcast. You have a lot of information that you shared. Where can folks learn more about these reports that you've issued at CAP? Sure. Um, you can catch me at Twitter um, at uh, cmedina646. Um, and you can also find CAP's uh, LGBTQ team at LGBTQ Progress. Um, and you can check out all of our columns and reports and briefs um, if you go to AmericanProgress.org. We're under the LGBTQ rights um, sort of issue section. Um, and, and there you'll find all of the wonky uh, data and details. Work. It's almost like, I just want to say thank you to, so much to CAP that you have a division specifically for our civil rights section, the LGBTQ state of affairs. You guys have been able to be issuing out reports, analysis on stuff that pertains to the community. It, it means a lot because we need to start learning more and checking out stuff that's important to us. And we got to encourage our folks to start self-identifying on these reports. I cannot stress that it's time to be visible so we could see what resources we can get for the community, correct? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, in terms of 
cap I, you know our, our team is wonderful we're very lucky to have many other teams that are part of cap that we can also um, rely on for expertise because as i mentioned um, we're really working a lot in health and housing and economic security so um yes feel very lucky and very you know privileged to be putting out the information we hope that it reaches <laughs> the folks that that we needed to whether that's uh, organizers researchers uh, folks in uh, in the administration and and congress um but yeah what's that website again it's uh, americanprogress.org and i want to thank you for also partnering with other lgbtq organizations when doing these reports because it's important to link up with a community so they, it's, it becomes a, a, a trusted document that they could rely on. Yeah, absolutely. And these are, you know, we're, we're involved in a lot of coalition um, work. Uh, we sit on a lot of coalitions with various other organizations, um, all very dedicated to uh, advancing LGBTQ rights um, and, and in a variety of, of different fields, non-discrimination, but also um, some of the other important policies that we were talking about earlier. Well, thank you, Caroline, and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.